Hunt's private eye. I'm not here right now. Please leave a message. Bonjour, Monsieur Punt. You know the art world is awash with fakes and frauds, but I've got a scandal that needs flushing out. The real identity of the artist behind an iconic work of art, possibly the most influential of the 20th century, an objet of great elegance and style. You will find copies in every café in Paris. Well, in the smallest room at least. The smallest room flushed out? Which art masterpiece was Tracy talking about? I had a fair idea from those clues, but to be sure, I needed to head to London's South Bank and the Tate Modern. Uh, right, it's quite easy to lose your bearings here, but uh, I think I'm now on the fourth floor. Uh-huh. I think I can see it. It's at the far end of the gallery. Place to serve to draw your eye from a, a distance. Uh, let's go a bit closer. Fairly quiet here. It's that kind of very particular art gallery quietness. Which always makes me want to shout! So, yes, this is it. There it was. Mm-hmm. Um, the room is bare apart from this plinth, white plinth, with a Perspex box on it, and it's lying inside the box. Curved ceramic white object. There was something familiar about it. It's about two feet long, about 18 inches high. But what was it? And was it art? The title of it is Fountain. And how could I tell? 1917 glazed earthenware, it says. It looked a little bit like a shrine, and the art pilgrims worshipped in their own way. A lot of phones being held up towards it. Okay, for, for this angle, it looks not unlike a hood of a pram. Hmm. Maybe art appreciation isn't my strongest subject. I need expert advice. It's got a sort of spout coming out of you, and it's got holes in the back, and you can't really understand what the hell this thing is. back of it has an almost science fiction look. It looks like a, a helmet from Star Wars. And you think you might have seen something like it, but you don't know what. Also vaguely suggests a monk or a nun wearing a hood. Let's go around to the other side. It has been described as resembling a Buddha. Actually, I can sort of see that. Almost like a veiled Madonna. Mm-hmm. And then you think, hey, hey, we're looking, I'm looking at this the wrong way. It's very clean, I can't say that. I'm looking at it on its back. Of course, this is a gents urinal. I told you art appreciation wasn't my thing. Now, bathroom fittings, on the other hand... It is slightly... Um, Scuffed, it's sort of a little bit chipped on Oh, I sound like I'm trying to get ten quid off at home base. Otherwise it's uh, pretty pristine. It's 100 years now since Marcel Duchamp, Lady Urinal on its back on a plinth, gave it a once-over with the Mr Muscle and called it Fountain. In doing so, he became the father of conceptual art and pointed to a future in which art galleries could be filled with cries of You call that art? In every gallery, they, they put it in a perspex box. That's because art students around the world think it will be incredibly original to, to try and work with the, the artwork by urinating in it. Hmm. Although, come to think of it, urinating on something that's inside a perspex box 
Sounds a bit of an art in itself. Brian Eno did it at one point. He had a um, elaborate system of a tube to get past the perspex. You're literally pissing all over one of the greatest works of art. Well, maybe you need to work on your egg. <laughs> in 2004, a poll of 500 art critics declared Fountain the most significant artwork of the 20th century for challenging the very nature of what artists did and what art was. Fountain is the most famous of Duchamp's so-called ready-made sculptures, an ordinary manufactured object that has been designated by the artist as a work of art. The person who popularised this approach was Marcel. The first one was in uh, 1913. It was a bicycle wheel. Just an ordinary wheel? An ordinary wheel, a bit bicycle wheel. Duchamp in 1959 telling the BBC about his ready-mades. Then the second one was a bottle dryer, you know, they have in, in cellars. And then the third one was a snow shovel bought in a hardware shop. Uh-huh. And uh, it's now, one the replica of it is in Yale. Safely out of range of Brian Eno. Duchamp also mentions an eau de toilette vial filled with air from Paris and a small birdcage with sugar cubes in it called why not sneeze? He doesn't make any mention of Fountain, however, which brings me to Tracy's message about fakes and frauds. There is a mystery attached to our urinal, and it's a who done it. Literally, who done it. The story begins in 1917 in New York, where the Society of Independent Artists, a bunch of radical dudes, staged an exhibition and declared that any and every piece of work submitted would be exhibited. Duchamp was on the exhibition committee, but hadn't submitted anything of his own. So, are you going to figure out something for the exhibition? Sure. A new painting or what? It'll come to me. Everything's food for thought. Hundreds of pieces of art flooded in. But then a large, heavy parcel arrived from Philadelphia containing the aforementioned sanitary ware. The name on the submission tag was R. Mutt. What on God's holy earth? What is that? It's a... bathroom article. What? The urinal was rejected. This is a charade, a, a farce! Duchamp resigned in protest, and although he never claimed to be the artist, he took the piece away to be photographed in the studio of one Alfred Stieglitz. Hold the light there for me. Which is lucky, since it's the only evidence that Fountain ever existed. Not too much shadow, if you would. After a write-up in an art magazine, Fountain was pretty much forgotten until the 50s and 60s, when Duchamp's ideas about art started to gain popularity. And following demands for his ready-mades to be seen in galleries, he authorised a small number of copies. This work is one of a small number of replicas which Duchamp authorised in 1964. All the versions exhibited today are painstakingly cast in exact imitation of the Stieglitz photograph. So the object enshrined under glass in the Tate is not an original shop-bought urinal, it's a perfectly cast copy of a shop-bought urinal that was never exhibited anywhere. Fountain shows no signs of being a unique object. <laughs> no evidence of the artist's skill in manipulating materials and no trace of the artist's hand. And thereby lies its notoriety. Duchamp died in 1968, acclaimed for his radical theories on art. And there matters rested until 1982, when a letter was discovered, written by Duchamp back in 1917, to his sister in Paris. 
In the letter, he explains that a female friend had submitted the urinal to the exhibition under the pseudonym Richard Mutt. He's apparently confessing privately to his sister that the idea of Fountain was not his. But who was this mystery female friend? Nobody knew. Can you remember the very first time that you saw the fountain? Yeah, I do. In 1966, at the in the Tate, and I saw it, and I thought, "What the hell is this?" Julian Spaulding, art historian, critic, and curator, is the author of a book called Con Art: Why You Should Sell Your Damien Hirst While You Can. I'd read about it, and I thought. If he submitted a urinal that looked like a urinal, and he was taking the piss out of art, he just needs to be hung as a urinal between paintings, and you get the message. So I just couldn't understand it. Is it sanitary wear or is it art? Whichever it is, Julian at the time didn't challenge the fact that it was under Duchamp's name. I still believe the orthodox view that he submitted the urinal to this exhibition, and then a, a scholar, a Duchamp scholar. Glenn Thompson got hold of me and said, "Look, you've got it wrong here." And then he told me quite a bit, and I was absolutely amazed. So from that moment on, then I read a lot about it, and of course, it、uh, it suddenly made sense. This work of art wasn't any to do with Duchamp. Spaulding was shown evidence that seemed to contradict Duchamp's account of how the urinal was acquired. Duchamp said that he got drunk one lunch and. He was strolling down Fifth Avenue, went into this、uh, sanitary wear shop. You sell fittings for the restaurants called Mots, and he bought this urinal and brought it down and submitted to the exhibition. What do you need? I'd like to look at your bathroom accessories. Well, Glenn Thompson realized, went through all their records of this firm and realized that a it wasn't a shop at all; it was a showroom, and you couldn't buy anything. There was no counter, and they didn't, and they only sold their own wares, and this wasn't it. This is impressive detective work. Has the truth been flushed out? So that was a sort of lie, and then he discovered much more about urinal manufacture, and he realised that this urinal had to be made in Philadelphia, which is where Fountain had been sent from by our anonymous female. But her identity was still a mystery. Then a candidate was discovered, or rather rediscovered. You come across a character like Baroness Elsa、uh, von Freytag Lorenkoven, and you immediately know. Now, this is someone.、Uh, it's just a joy to read about, a joy to research, and a joy to write about. While researching his book *Stranger Than We Know*, John Higgs was able to put a potential name to the female friend. Step forward, Baroness Elsa von Freytag Loringhoven. For some reason, there's something about Baroness Elsa von Freytag Loringhoven that people just react to. Why would that be? She was wearing cakes as hats. She was wearing beetroot and, and carrots. She had stamps as makeup.、Uh, this is in 1917. This is in the First World War. John came across a biography written in 2002 by Canadian art historian Irene Gamel, which reintroduced the world to this pioneering figure. She's generally regarded as the first American Dada artist. I think it's probably、uh, equally true to say she was the first New York punk. She was just about 60 years too early. She was a performance artist. She was a poet. She did conceptual art before such a thing existed. Baroness Elsa seems to have been written out of history for nearly three quarters of a century. A central figure in avant-garde circles, she would do things like wearing tail lights on the bustle of her dress when she wore a dress. She treated her own body like a work of art, and was arrested more than once for cross-dressing or not dressing at all. 
If she could have been arrested for behaving in a sexually assertive manner in a built-up area, she probably would have been. But in the finest traditions of struggling artists, she had very little money. You know, she lived in absolute poverty. She had an apartment full of rats and dogs, and her life was dedicated to this fiery creative spirit that just ran through her. She she couldn't stop being an artist. You know, she couldn't. It it didn't matter that nobody understood her. We now know that the first ready-made was by Baroness Elsa. It was a, an iron ring called enduring ornament. And we can date it very accurately because she found it on the way to her wedding to her Baron Leopold von Freytag Loringhoven to 1913. And she kept doing this. She kept finding objects in the street and declaring them to be a work of art. And, you know, the fact that she took a plumber's trap and called it God. But did she express herself by sending a urinal to an art exhibition? A lot of things made a lot more sense about Fountain once... Baroness Elsa came onto the picture. We suddenly had the answer to this mystery that, that had been hanging around the art world since the early 80s. And it is absolutely indisputable that this urinal was submitted by Elsa. Julian Spaulding. And for totally different reasons than Duchamp's later claimed. So given this astonishingly detailed detective work regarding the manufacture and sale of yes. urinals uh, in East Coast America, why so much trouble? Why, why is this worth disproving. I think it changes everything because you see Duchamp not only stole somebody else's work, stole work of art from a woman, he also stole its meaning because when Elsa sent this in, was sent in in, in a moment of absolutely blinding fury that America just declared war on Germany which was her motherland and she sent this urinal in uh, as a symbol of a gentleman's club. She regarded America as a gentleman's club and the symbol of that is a gents. But the thing is, she signed it Armat, which Duchamp said was a pun on Mott, the firm where he got this thing from, which he couldn't have done. But if, if it had been submitted and hung, it would have gone in the catalogue as Mart.R, which is Mutter, which means mother. And it's her motherland. And what she was saying, very simply, look, you gentlemen from America, don't piss on my motherland. An object packed with meaning by the artist? Or an object whose meaninglessness is the artist's whole point? Spaulding believes that Duchamp's account of events leading to Fountain was crucially different. Duchamp later said this work was to saying that anything can be a work of art if an artist says it is. He buried her and he buried its meaning. So it's a real robbery. But, but in that case, can, if, if that object was in, in its glass case, in its own room, in the Tate, but it was labelled as Baroness Elsa's work with a, with a label explaining that it was made a few days after America declared war on Germany yeah. and so on. Would that then be art? Yes, because uh, this is one of the great works of art of the 20th century. It deserves to hang with uh, Picasso's bull made of a bicycle saddle and a horn and Dali's lob lobster telephone because it is a concrete poem. Duchamp stripped all that away. Are we saying that he still submitted the piece, but he submitted no. her piece? No, no, he didn't he submit it. He had no role at all. He had nothing whatsoever to do with it. But Duchamp did resign from the exhibition committee over the piece. So, am I getting confused? 
they met through the various artist studios. The Baroness was very poor, so she earned her money by posing in the nude. Duchamp was very flirtatious, but uh, he was not uh, interested sexually in the Baroness. Professor Irene Gamel wrote the biography of the Baroness Elsa, which suggests that she might have been responsible for Fountain. They also collaborated, at least in one film experiment, with Manway. And uh, the Baroness was kind of immediately smitten with Duchamp. And she says that from her accounts of this, it seems like she did a lot of the talking and he did a lot of the listening. And uh, she produced uh, some poetry of these encounters as well. One of the poems is entitled Love, Chemical Relationship. So, regarding the controversy over Fountain, when did the idea first emerge that Fountain might not have been Duchamp's work? My approach to the artwork was not to say it belongs to this person or it belongs to that person or to strip Duchamp of any sort of authorship claims. My intent uh, in putting forward an argument that the Baroness might have been involved has been to emphasize the collaborative component of avant-garde artworks in general. And Fountain has always struck me as a fundamentally collaborative work of art. This isn't as clear-cut as it might appear. I would not go so far as to state that Duchamp stole Fountain from Elsa. We have no evidence for that. In fact, the Baroness herself never laid a claim to Fountain. Yes, I mean, in, in terms of the story of Fountain then and its submission to the exhibition of in, in independent artists, is Duchamp doing the submitting and she is the person who actually comes up with the piece? Well, how does the collaboration work? We don't really know a great deal about this because it's, it's not been fully articulated. And as for Duchamp's letter, how seriously should we take it? Do we say it is a white lie or do we say we take Duchamp uh, seriously in what he says and somebody else uh, submitted this object? Uh, of course, she herself has a kind of pattern that fits really well within this setup. And what I did then in my Baroness Elsa book was construct a sort of circumstantial case, being very, very clear about the fact that this was a hypothesis, but that I saw some sort of concrete elements in the Baroness's fingerprint, so to speak, that kind of matches this particular setup. But could those fingerprints be anybody else's? I know other theories have been brought forth and on the uh, uh, label, for example, the address that is given is of Louise Norton. Louise Norton. Remember that name? Very established Duchamp scholars uh, would argue that this is very clearly uh, Louise Norton simply acting as a decoy and uh, the fountain itself originating with Duchamp. I I'm a fan of Duchamp. I have Duchamp tattoos. Now that's classy body art. Professor Jesse Prince. It's a, uh, in a standard piece of plumbing, a, a one-off uh, shiny white porcelain object that would conventionally be hung from the wall but was capsized on its side, so it's, it's lying flat and, and looks like it could ser continue to serve its uh, intended function. 
I read Irene Gamble's book when it appeared, and she, it was a really magnificent book, and she makes a case for the claim that uh, Freitag Lorenhoven was the actual creator of the work. And that struck me at the time as sufficiently well-reasoned and documented that it deserved to be taken seriously. And then I began to look at the evidence more carefully. Taking up the challenge, Professor Prince decided to approach the puzzle in a Sherlock Holmes manner, or how I like to think I would, were I an art historian. I think the case for Duchamp's authorship is absolutely decisive. He's looked at style. It's a single mundane object, so uh, not dressed up in any way, not rendered aesthetic. Just He's analysed the Armut signature. Tellingly, I think the signature really matches his handwriting to a, to a key. So and he's poured over old photos with a magnifying glass. Period photographs showing uh, the fountain in his room, along with other ready And he's also boned up on plumbing supplies. Fountain matches ones that were available to him in a... But uh, most significantly, he agrees with Gamel that the Baroness was hardly a shy retiring sort, and had the submission been hers, she was unlikely to have kept quiet about the outrage it created. Duchamp claimed authorship of this work for years. His claims to authorship were never challenged. And the friends of other potential authors, like the Baroness Elsa, never contested this. So Elsa had two very close supporters in the literary world, Jane Heap and Juna Barnes. Both of them lived well after Duchamp was taking very public credit for the work and its recognition was rising. None of them claimed that Baroness Elsa had created the work. The Baroness was constantly short of money and complained bitterly about a former lover stealing her work. But she never spoke up regarding Fountain. She was trying to, to really get people close to her to support her. She was constantly looking for a patron. She was complaining that Duchamp hadn't uh, connected her with friends or giving her, given her any financial support. So she had a perfect opportunity and motivation to say, Hey, Marcel, you took credit for this thing that I did. And, I, you know, she could have blackmailed him. She was definitely given to extortion. And she didn't. But if Elsa wasn't the female friend mentioned in the letter, who else might it have been? There is another letter that drops a hint, written by a friend of Duchamp. Charles Demuth wrote a letter to a, an art journalist uh, at the time in New York, urging the journalist to write a story about it. And he gave as contact information uh, Duchamp's phone number and a number that he attributed to the then-alleged artist of the work, Richard Mutt, which turns out to be the number of a close affiliate of Duchamp, his friend Louise Norton. Norton's address also appears on the submission slip. The letter also describes the person who submitted the urinal as a young woman. Baroness Elsa was in her late 40s, hardly young even by modern standards. Louise Norton, on the other hand, was in her late 20s. So, I mean, given the overwhelming similarities between this work and Duchamp's work, the circumstantial evidence, and the fact that no one ever credited the work to anyone uh, other than Duchamp, uh, including people in the know, I think there's absolutely no reason to doubt this was his creation. There was one more person to meet and one more place to visit. Well, on a thematic note, you see what we're doing Yes, You see the kind that of thematic ideal. thing that we've done? Yeah, it, it really makes sense. So, thus inspired, like being surrounded by... Well, this particular urinal has hopefully been cleaned up. Well, there's a lot of graffiti on the walls. They've left some of the original graffiti. Yeah, that's nice. I was heading that's underground nice. with art historian and writer Ben Street. Oh, look, you see, there's some nice pastries oh, and, and coffee. Brilliant. 
We can sit at a urinal and have a coffee, maybe. <laughs> We'd made our way into the attendant cafe. What era are we sort of reckoning for these? Um, They're quite ornate urinals. I'm not an expert in urinals, apart from that, what, that particular one. Ben is a long-standing Duchamp fan and finds the story of Fountain fascinating enough to have co-written a play about it for Radio 4. One of the reasons why I wanted to do a radio play about it is that you don't really need to see it. It's quite hard to describe a painting. It's quite easy to visualise a urinal, I would say. No, it is a fountain. Look. The controversy around the creation of the piece, have you heard about that? Yeah. The thing is that this piece, this object, is surrounded by enigma and mystery from the very beginning. Yes, because obviously in your play you don't make any mention of any controversy around this and that was obviously a conscious decision. Yeah, that's really tricky as well, yeah, because I initially wanted to make the attribution of the piece like part of the play <laughs> the only problem is, it's such a complicated work of art, but it also its implications are huge for the history of art and for what art is and what artists are and all of that. But I wanted to explore that, because that to me is the most important legacy of this event, this action. So if we accept the idea of trying not to define art, which is a very legitimate conception, then the ready-made comes in as a sort of irony. This is not meant to be a conventional work of art. Everything about it is meant to subvert or overthrow everything that is understood to be art up to that point. Everything. So what an artist does, what an artist's work is, like what it means to be in a studio, what it means to make stuff. Because it says, here it is, a thing that I call art. I didn't even make it myself. How you title works of art, how you display them, all that stuff, all of that is contained within this one gesture. The urinal is like the icebreaker. The urinal is the MacGuffin, like in Hitchcock film. It just gets the plot going and then the conversation around it, including the conversation of who's behind the idea, that's part of it as well. So this conversation that we're currently having about is it possible that it wasn't his original idea, that's actually part of the work. So th there is this controversy, what was it Duchamp, was it Baronet S. Elsa, was it the two of them in collaboration? But my question is, does it matter? <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. Because the important thing about Fountain is the ideas it sets in motion, is that it challenges the idea of the author, the idea of the genius. And so if we follow a path that leads us to say who's really behind it, we're slightly kind of going in the wrong direction, I think, in a way. A century after a urinal was anonymously sent in as an art exhibit, feelings run amazingly high on both sides about whose idea it was, what it means, and whether it's a Dardai's prank or a furious statement about the First World War. I think the case for Duchamp's authorship is absolutely decisive. It may not have been a sort of deliberate attempt to deceive. It may have been, I don't know. He had nothing whatsoever to do with it. None of which alters the puzzled faces of gallery-goers around the world as they stare at a urinal on its back in a glass case and ask themselves searching questions like, is it art? Or, who is R. Mutt? Or, is that Brian Eno over there? And maybe, just maybe, that was the point all along.